having done a little bit of pre-work so that you're familiar with someone's work gives you an opportunity to walk right up to somebody that, you know, you might not have ever had the comfort of talking to otherwise and speak about their work and how much it's influenced you. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, everybody. I'm Kim Skorupski, and I'm so happy that today we have Dr. Cindy Rand, my mentor here at Hopkins, back on the podcast. Dr. Cindy Rand is a professor of medicine in the Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine Department here at Hopkins with joint appointments in both pediatrics and psychiatry and behavioral sciences. She is also our Senior Associate Dean for Faculty. Welcome back to the podcast, Cindy. Hey, Kim. I'm happy to be here. I was thinking that... I just was left a junior faculty leadership program meeting. We had our third session of our annual leadership meeting for our junior faculty members. And we were talking about leadership and personality preferences and the importance of networking. And a question came up that I thought you would be really good at handling. And that is all these pressures and demands on new faculty members. And they're, they're seeing patients writing grants, writing papers, teaching learners, being involved heavily in administration and programs around the department and trying to be a good citizen of the university. And now we tell them, oh, and don't forget, you have to start thinking about promotions. So you better go to your national meetings and really get involved. And a lot of people were like, well, wait a minute, are you kidding me? How do I do that? That's just even more pressure on me. How does one even fit that into a schedule? And why is that important? So I just thought, all right, you 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 mentor people, hundreds and hundreds of faculty members. What do you tell people on how they should best navigate their national societies and going to these meetings? Well, I mean, it's, it is absolutely true, Kim, that that in in academic medicine, uh, engagement with your uh, professional societies, and, and that that can be at uh, the state level and it can be at the national level, international level for some can be a, a really critical and, and, in fact, really rewarding way to expand your network of people who are interested in your clinical area or your research area. It's also an opportunity to uh, grow a little bit. It's a, it, it becomes a setting for many faculty as they put on their, their training wheels for leadership and, and then as they let go of their training wheels, as they start to assume leadership responsibilities, um, it often tracks in parallel with what's happening in your, your institution. The, the issue of Finding the time to be able to engage is, is a real one, and, and I, I won't be glib about that. That That's a, a reality. I, I know uh, for many junior faculty, just the capacity and the time to be able to be with their family can preclude being able to engage at the national level. That said, one can still, as a member, engage fortunately now uh, electronically and in many subcommittees and in weighing in on, on many of the initiatives that professional societies have, it is possible to have a virtual presence. And so I would absolutely, if, if the literal going to the meeting and the finding the time is the biggest challenge, I would still reach out to your professional society, to your assembly chair, and explore what the options are to engage virtually. But if you are going to the meeting and you are thinking about, okay, well, this is overwhelming. 
my professional society is American Thoracic Society, and I think their national meetings get something like, I, I don't know the actual numbers, but it's something like 14,000 a year show up in these um, handful of U.S. cities big enough to accommodate them, and, and you can feel just like I have no idea what to do. The first and most obvious suggestion is speak to your mentor. Right. This is this is the 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 prime strategy. If if it's an option for you, is to strategize and plan out with your mentor before you even get to the national meeting about whom you want to be introduced to. Uh, what do they think you should be attending and going to, and are there any aspects of the organizational side? So, for example, uh, any of the committees that are open for all members to attend, are there ones that you should attend? So, typically, asking your mentor about this navigation would be key. Now, it would be ideal if your mentor proactively you know, says to you, okay, Kim, you know, the national meeting is coming up in May. I think it would be a good idea if you did this or did that. But if they don't, then ask them and and, and use that as the occasion to say, you know, there is uh, there is somebody working in pulmonary hypertension whose work I really am impressed with and I really like. Do you think you could either introduce me or introduce me to somebody who could introduce me? Uh, so use your local context. And it's not your mentor your uh, division chief or uh, a senior colleague or someone who's gone to a few of them, ask them uh, and use them and just attach yourself to them and follow them about during the meeting. Yeah. Now, there's another strategy that you can use that is independent of sort of using your peeps to move you through the meeting, and that is to do your homework <clears throat> beforehand Let's just say you uh, really are interested and are thinking about, maybe you're thinking about other professional opportunities, like you're thinking, boy, I'm very impressed with the program at Cleveland Clinic, or I really love what they're they're doing at Vanderbilt and and I, I can see you know that their pulmonary hypertension program has this key person and uh, that's a, that's a place I would like to know that person or I would like to be I'd like to be known by that person right in that case I would actually I'd start early I would again do your homework do your reading know the work of that person and uh, this is this is not exactly disingenuous because you are interested in that person, I might well reach out to them by email or I might uh, ask my mentor to introduce me to that person if that's a possibility. But let's say you don't know them and you don't have a mentor who can do this. I might write and ask them a question. I might say, you know, dear Dr. Rand, I just read your article on such and such and such and, you know, I really uh, enjoyed it. I, you know, I was particularly struck. I'm doing work in in adherence and you know one of the questions I had for you is do you have a recommendation for the best uh, electronic monitoring devices there is there uh, an article that you might point me to or a resource now I'd keep my ask small like don't give me your full philosophy on 
strategy. Because then the you know the person getting the email is going to roll their eyes and they don't have the time. But if it's a quick answer and it's framed in a positive way, most of your uh, clinical or research uh, colleagues in the broader community will be responsive. Then right. you thank them when they do that, or you know ask for a copy of their article or whatever. You know, engage around a small topic. When you respond the next time, if it's you thank them, you say, you know, that's that I really appreciate your time. I uh, will look forward to your talk at ATS uh, and hearing it in May because you've already looked at the program and you already know what they're presenting. You already know what poster they're doing. And then when you get to the meeting, you follow up and you say, oh, you know, Dr. Rand, I'm, you know, Dr. Skrupski, I, uh, you know, I I wrote to you in uh, March, and I really appreciate it. You're taking the time to respond. Uh, I'm very interested in your work. So you've, you've broken ice. You've introduced yourself. You have a little bit of history via this email contact, and now you can perfectly properly go up and, and talk with them, and then after the meeting, you can follow up again. So just thinking broadly about how you you can use the work as the safe space contact. And I will tell you, I don't care who it is. I don't care how accomplished they are. Everybody likes a compliment. Everybody likes to hear that you liked their paper and that you read it, that you learned something or that you have a question. And that is, that is a hook you can use for the rest of your career. And people do it. As in a routine basis, you you go from poster to poster, and you go from talk to talk, and meeting to meeting, and having done a little bit of pre-work so that you're familiar with someone's work gives you an opportunity to walk right up to somebody that you know you might not have ever had the comfort of talking to otherwise, and speak about their work and how much it's influenced you, or and and I think. That as a framework is enough to get you through any national meeting. I, I, that's such terrific advice. That's such a nice formula of just being proactive, reaching out. And I used to be afraid that, you know, the, the famous guy in my field, I remember uh, Dr. Fred Walensky from Iowa, and I loved his work. And, of course, I saw, and I'd go to all his talks, I'd see his name and all the agendas, and I would sit in the back of the room and just kind of admire the way he his science was just so just sound and his communication style was so authentic. And I remember thinking, well, I would never like ask this guy and bother him. He's so busy. He's like one of these famous people and he, he hobnobs with all the, the big wigs in my field and I'm a graduate student. He's not going to hang out with me until, and, and I'm, and I'm on off the charts E extrovert. So what I decided to do was, well, it might be kind of weird if I say, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Or can we, you know, have, are you going to the, the networking event and talk there? I thought, well, I just walked up to this guy, introduced myself. You know, I work with Eva Kahana and the Kahanas at Case Western University. And, and we've spoken a couple of times via email. I love this work. I'm doing similar work, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, which way are you going? He's like, oh, right now I'm going to over to such and such building. And I'm like, oh, may I walk with you? And that to me was like a, a way, and this could again just be me, it wasn't in a formal let's meet at four o'clock for a cup of coffee. Rather, I'm walking, you're walking, I'm not holding you up from something. In fact, I'm just going to scoot along right with you. And that way, at least it's another, a couple minutes, low pressure, 
I don't feel, I didn't feel like I was imposing on him that I would be, I would do that year after year after year and reminding him who I was until when I would see him and he would start addressing me, oh, hi, Kim, how's Cleveland? <laughs> then I'm like, okay, I knew, I knew I had met or achieved my goal of he knew me. And then when I was getting ready to be promoted, at, you know, first getting my first jobs from from first jobs to being promoted to associate professor, Fred Walensky was right there because then he knew me. He knew my work, but it was a gradual over time, nothing, you know, too much of a burden from my perspective. Yeah, well, I think that's that's fantastic, and and if you uh, if you have the the comfort and the and the personality to do that, I think you'll find that those people are really warm and receptive. I, I the thing to keep in mind in all of these is just you know courtesy, common courtesy of being respectful of people's time, whether that's on email or or in person. That most of us are are really happy to meet people and we're happy to answer quick questions and we are, you know, over time, those relationships may grow. But it is, there just needs to be a little bit of uh, restraint in doing it, particularly if you don't have a pre-established relationship. Everyone understands, no matter what your level, when you're at a national meeting, that it is an opportunity to make these connections. And if you are a mentor, if you have trainees with you, it is part of your responsibility to do that, to ease that, to to make the process simpler for people. And, and just to circle back to where we started and thinking about the actual organization itself, one I think underutilized opportunity are the business meetings, going to the business meetings of the national societies, joining the assemblies, becoming a part of the committees gives you a, a much uh, a much more enhanced opportunity to meet and connect with leaders in your field. And universally, there is receptivity to engaging even very, very junior people. Sure, you may start out and, you know, your first committees may involve, you know, doing, you know, reviewing abstracts or, you know, engaging in things which may not be where you want to eventually uh, end up. But uh, take the time and schedule and think of the organization as being one of those pillars that is going to help you, whether you're uh, clinically focused or whether you're research focused. If you're in academic medicine, I promise you that those connections are going to be critical to your opportunities going forward, opportunities for collaboration, opportunities for jobs, opportunities to be promoted. It, it is totally worth the time to invest. And if, it, if it's physically possible to go to the meetings, that's ideal. If it, if you can't physically go because it's, you know, just not, you just don't have the time, explore whether or not you can do it in a, in a virtual way because, uh, organizations are, are built on many different contributions and they, they don't all involve, you know, being there in person for posters and, and coffee and, and afterwards. Uh, can you just talk, um, Two things. Uh, what exactly would be the virtual virtual engagement? Does that mean literally like teleconferencing in? Or are you talking 
um, electronic communication, just agreeing to participate on on webinars or or is there something else you were thinking when you say virtually connected or engaged? It depends on your organization. So, you know, I, I can, again, only speak to my best, my organization, but uh, a number of the assemblies in American Thrive Society have a, uh, a, a, a virtual, a uh, webinar-based journal club, you know, that there's a journal club that people from all over the country can participate in and could you know that somebody who's little who's a part of the assembly subcommittees organizes it but anybody can attend any member can attend journal club a similarly mentoring match you know when if you're a member of the organization just going on the website of your organization exploring what opportunities they have and if you have questions reaching out to an assembly chair or chair of a subcommittee that is of interest and just say, you know, I'm, I'm a brand new faculty. I'm a, I'm a pulmonologist. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm at uh, an institution that doesn't have perhaps a tradition of active engagement with a national society. I'd sort of need a, I, I need to know where to start. Do you have some suggestions? And I think there's really high likelihood that you would, you would find somebody who would, point you specifically within your society to where to begin. But don't ignore your local resources because it's it's almost always the case that somebody in your division already has those connections and can help you to navigate. So that's where I would start. I know from my own experience with the AAMC Group on Faculty Affairs leading the Research and Evaluation Committee, Research and Scholarship Committee, is if you're going to be involved and volunteer to be involved in something, as you said on the, the mentoring and, and proactive menteeship podcast episode, follow up and be prepared because nothing would be worse for you than to volunteer and get people at your home institution to sponsor you for a position on a committee or running a Twitter chat or doing something, and then you're not following through, you're not prepared, you're missing deadlines. I'm frequently asked from my leadership and the group on faculty affairs, who would you nominate from your committee to do something even higher? And I have easily in the top of my head, the people who on my committee are the reliable ones who do what they're going to do, say, you know, say what, you know, do what they say they're going to do versus the people who it's clear that this is just an entry on their CV. And they really, they, they don't, call into the monthly meetings. They don't do, they're not responsive via email. So that is one thing that we have to remember that do it and do it authentically and, and for real. Yeah. If you make a commitment, follow through on that commitment. And if you are uncertain, check with your mentor or mentors about, is this a good use of my time? Because Clearly, there are more things to do than there is time to do them, and we've all been in situations where we've overcommitted, whether that's in our national societies or otherwise, and there is an element of choosing wisely where you'll put your time. That will evolve, that will evolve as well as you mature in your career, uh, but if you make a commitment, follow through because it, it, it certainly isn't going to help your your national reputation to have uh, disappointed somebody who's in a leadership role. I think for the most part though, I you know, my my experience has been that that 
there are there are more resources than you might think if you you know take the first steps to connect with people who are part of a of these organizations. They they only exist and thrive through the the, the networking and the commitment. And uh, it has been, uh, I would say, for the using again pulmonary as an example for the pulmonary and critical care division here at Hopkins. It's been. Uh, absolutely essential and, and vital to uh, many of the research opportunities and, and leadership opportunities. It's been through this uh, connecting at the national meetings and, and, again, serving the organization. So I think it's worth the time and the energy. And even if you're a junior faculty member, you know, you're saying, you know, rightly so, contact the people in your division, your department first, because likely they're already involved and you don't want to step on toes and and be it cross purposes or cross communicate. So start locally, go nationally. And maybe you're a faculty member thinking, well, there's really nothing in my my society is not as evolved as that one. It's not as big as that. We don't have a lot of things like that. Well, guess what? You can propose to do something at that national society or your national organization. You could say, geez, at my local institution, we have these great, these things, you know, peer, peer groups or peer support groups or WAGs, writing accountability groups. I'd love to, you know, at the next conference, uh, give a little session for junior faculty members on this or talk about how to do a virtual Twitter chat or, or whatever your idea might be. I think a lot of professional societies would, would really love to hear some innovative new concepts or programs that you yourself could volunteer to lead at a national society, right? Sure, you do that, and who knows? Next thing you know, you might be president of that society. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is great, Cindy, as usual. Um, anything you'd like to add to the podcast listening audience before we sign up for today? No, I, I just look forward to uh, those pulmonologists who are out there listening. I look forward to meeting you at next ATS. There you go. Well, friends, you've been listening to my mentor, the scathingly brilliant Dr. Cindy Rand, the Senior Associate Dean for Faculty here at Hopkins. And this has been a little talk about how to get the most out of your national society. I hope you tune in next time to the Faculty Factory podcast. Spread the news. Tell all your friends to come and listen to Cindy Rand and lots of other great people. Till next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.